when I was 16, my parents got divorced and my mom moved to another country. So I was experiencing, as you can imagine, I felt a lot of anger. I also felt abandoned. I felt lost. I felt devastated. I felt, you know, all these things I can reflect back on now, but as a 16 year old, because of my patterns in my life and how things unfolded, I had developed a personality and a persona of like being bubbly and being cheerful and everything was always fine. And I was like really outgoing. And so I, when I experienced that trauma, I just sort of doubled down on that. Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name is Nesh Niklic. If you're a teacher, primary caregiver, or a parent, I think you should listen to this podcast. Today's episode is with Haley Watson, who's a clinical psychologist who specialises in working with young persons, children, and has developed a program for schools and for parents about how we can connect with kids more effectively to, to help them and teach them traverse through this difficult world and difficult life and find themselves and, and, and bond and connect uh, with their families so that we can foster better mental health. Haley's got a wealth of experience. You're really going to enjoy this and there's, there's some real gems to take away from this episode. So listen up and enjoy. Haley, it's really great to have you on the uh, podcast today. Really interested to find out more about you and also what uh, Open Parachute is all about. Uh, I know it's a big passion of yours and you know, passionate people is what we're always looking for on, on the show. So, you know, big welcome and thanks. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here. Maybe we can start for the audience to talk a little bit about Open Parachute, uh, what it is uh, and, and then kind of how, how it came about. Absolutely. So it's a mental health curriculum program for schools. And the way, I mean, I guess a, a little bit of sort of, I can talk about how it came about in describing it, because it really came about, I'm a clinical psychologist and I've worked with teenagers for my whole career. So for the past 15 years, I've been working with teenagers. And what I found is that when young people would come to me struggling with something like anxiety or depression or, you know, having difficult thoughts or they're worried about something at school or whatever it is that they're struggling with, there would be a whole um, process I would take them through as a psychologist. So you'd teach them about what was happening in them, what was happening in their mind, teach them about thoughts and about feelings. And then you'd also work with their parents and then you'd work with their school. And so there's this whole holistic way that you would sort of create this intervention that really helped this young person. And what I found is that kids that go to therapy get this incredible wisdom and, and depth that helps them in all other situations. Um, but most kids don't go to therapy. And when I was looking at the kind of things that schools were doing around mental health and, you know, as a culture, we just, we don't know much about mental health still in the sense of like, we're still figuring out what do we do and what does this mean? And so a lot of the times it'd be sort of a one-off where someone would go into a school and, and give a bit of a talk about mental health, or there'd be information about like signs and symptoms of anxiety and depression and, and risk factors. And those things are all great and really important. But what I found in my clients is that those, you know, they needed more. They needed to actually learn about 
what was happening in them. They needed skills and tools and hearing about, I mean, now what happens like in, on social media and everything, what we see about mental health is actually really terrifying for young people because they see this really negative, dark, scary side. And so I am really passionate about helping all teenagers learn practical mental health skills. And so that's what Open Parachute really does. It's a program that is used in a classroom setting. The teachers facilitate it. There's also resources and videos for parents. There's also resources for the teachers themselves. And But the basis of Open Parachute in the classroom is that we um, create documentaries of real teenagers sharing their own experiences of overcoming difficult things, which are shown in the classroom setting. And once they see those videos, it's the same thing as happens in group therapy. All of a sudden, it feels safe. All of a sudden, they hear, oh, I'm not the only one that's going through this. Because us as adults, no matter how many times we say that to teenagers, their whole focus developmentally is fitting in with their peer group. So they sort of, they need that peer voice. And so we create these curated videos where they learn these topics through the voices of their peers. And then they're actually guided through these psychological skills building exercises so that they actually get to self-reflect and look at what's happening in me and how does this relate to me? And how do I actually build skills to move through all of the challenges of life? One of the things that jumped out at me when I was doing a bit of research before our, our conversation today was the format of not only online in terms of bringing all of these resources to whether it be the teachers or, you know, the, the, the kids or the parents, but this group idea. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because it's, it's something that I don't think is has historically been used very much, uh, uh, whether it be in psychology or, or in, in many other spaces. Uh, but I know it can be a very powerful format. I mean, you know, when we think about it, programs like AA, you know, are solely group programs and you can see how powerful they are. Can you talk about that a little bit and, and, and why you chose Absolutely. to go down that way? Absolutely. So, so I think, you know, you said it, that the power of the group is amazing in most contexts in general. So talk a little bit about in general, but then also with teenagers. So in general, the biggest thing that happens when we're struggling, and, and this, this especially happens for teenagers, but it happens for adults as well, is that we, we go inside our own head. So we think that we're the only one that's going through this. We think that we're the crazy one, there's something wrong with us. You know, we second guess ourselves because when we're in an anxious reaction and when we're struggling, you know, our rational brain is not really able to sort of help us out as much as we want it to. So we usually do this thing where we isolate and we close off. And when we hear from someone else that's just like us, that is that we can identify with or that we might even look up to sharing vulnerabilities, sharing, you know, yes, I've struggled. Yes, I do struggle. This is normal to go through. These are the things that I've been through. All of a sudden it takes that pressure of the self blame and the, you know, all of the guilt that we lay on top of our suffering that sort of is alleviated. And then we can actually just deal with what we're feeling in the first place. So I think that's a really important part in terms of, all of us when we're healing and moving through things is to have that connection and that group um, process, but also especially with teenagers. So developmentally, adolescence is a time where their minds are primed 
to focus on their peer group. So because they have to figure out how to grow, how to live in a world that eventually won't involve their parents. So they, their, their whole mind is figuring out how do I fit into this peer group so that I can survive when all of these adults are gone. And so they literally, that's why they become so fixated on their friends when they're teenagers and, and, you know, and social media and fitting in and being part of the cool group or whatever it is, there's this developmental push towards that. And so obviously that can come out in a really negative way as we see in, you know, peer pressure and all these kinds of things, but it can also be used in a really positive way because when they hear, you know, again, teenagers are amazing. Like their minds are so open and they're so able to learn and reflect. As soon as we give them a role model or we give them this example of someone that they might think is really cool or you know has it all together speaking about their experiences it normalizes it and that is so important because until teenagers feel and know that it's normal they're never going to want to share openly because it's too scary it, it it's sort of this this idea of they don't only sort of lose face in their peer group, they actually lose their whole ground, you know, their whole sense of who they are, because at that age, who they are is all about how their peers see them. So until we, and then when, but the great thing is we can create these conversations where rather than putting each other down and ostracizing each other, they can actually be part of each other's healing journey. And I think that's really key because teenagers will look to their friends. I mean, they see that in a, in a lot of studies and when you ask teenagers like who do you go for, for who do you go to for help they will go to their friends and so we can't necessarily change that so but what we can do is equip those friends to know well how should i respond you know what does it mean to encourage someone to go see therapy if they're struggling what does it mean to have empathy for someone what does it mean to understand that when someone's mean to me it's not my fault like there's so many things that i think we can we can put into their general understanding and and the way that they interact with each other that can really prevent a lot of the the scary and awful things that happen what would you say are the mental health topics or maybe therapeutic interventions or subjects that are important to consider to spend time understanding, studying, exploring, being curious about, you know, what, what's in the program or even from your own experience as, as a clinician, what do young people uh, need to learn about, hear about, expose themselves to? What, 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 what can us parents, you know, out, out here think about when, you know, considering our children's well-being and mental health Absolutely. So it's a great question. And there's a number of different things to explore. And I think the, the biggest thing I always recommend to parents is talk about as much as you can with your child. So really leave the door open for them being able to express anything. But I would say the key topics that you really want to openly discuss with them is, is the first one is around friendship dynamics, relationship dynamics, boundaries, consent, bullying, all those kinds of things where it involves peer groups and how they interact with each other. And the reason that it's important to have open conversations about that is that those can be areas because like I said, that's such an area that's important for teenagers. It can be, it can be really hard for them to, to know what's 
what's right for them and not right for them. And it can be easy to silence their own needs in order to keep that friendship or because that person's cool. So I think I need to hang out with them. So it's really having these discussions about how do you feel in your friendships? How do you feel in your relationship dynamics? Do you feel like there's a power imbalance? You know, do you feel, you know, content can you be yourself do you feel anxious around any of your friends why do you think that is and again we don't need to give them the answers this is the beautiful thing about mental health is that especially as parents you don't need the answers at all you just need to encourage them to ask the questions to themselves of what is what is making me feel this way because what happens with kids is when they don't ask the questions they end up thinking it's their fault and they end up internalizing it. So if you just help point out, hey, you know, maybe there's a pattern there. You know, if you always don't feel, feel good around that person, maybe there's something going on there. Maybe they're not treating you that well. So you just are starting to engage in that. So that's, I think, one really important area. Another so kind really, of like, yeah. apologies before you jump into the go next ahead. one. Go, go, go. It's yeah. kind of like uh, parents or teachers facilitating exploration, it being a conduit to consideration exploration looking at the dynamics it's an ongoing conversation without the need for an answer uh, just perspective taking um, and lots of repetitions you know it's a, this is a process um, I, I can see myself already in, 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 in what you're discussing I can see myself being the solution focused and you know Having gone through the journey, I'm like, oh, I, know, I know how to do this. Um, you know, listen here, uh, you know, to the kid, to my kids. You don't need to worry about these kids if they're not nice to you. You know, uh, get some other other friends. You know, some nonsense rather than than kind of spending that time. Even though, obviously, working as a psychologist, you do it completely different. But when with your own family, you know, you you, you cut corners and do all sorts of you know funny, crazy things. Uh, and I saw that I was there lightheartedly. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, you know, we do, and this is the thing, we're human, right? We, we all, no matter how much we know, right, when we're in the moment, we, we just do the first thing that pops into our head. But you're absolutely right. That is a really big, you know, you said that really perfectly in the sense you're facilitating the exploration. Because that you really, what you want to empower your kids with is the tools. It's not the answer, but it's the tools. It's how do I navigate this? And when I figure out how I choose to navigate this, that will mean I can navigate the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So that when they grow up and you're not there anymore, they actually know how to be guided by what they're feeling. So it's really about exploring their feelings. And, and really just honoring that and saying, yeah, that's, that's normal to feel that no matter what they're feeling is normal. And then querying, I wonder why that's it. Just, I wonder why you feel that way. What do you think? It makes so much sense as well, because I think where kids and adults if, uh, for, for, um, uh, for comparison as well, uh, often identically learn. I remember being in a tutorial that that's where we did the primary uh, yes. volume of learning was chatting with peers who had all read different parts of, you know, the chapters that we were asked to read or had read further or had other knowledge that they'd, you know, accumulated through their lives or were taught by, you know, parents, friends, whatever it might be. Uh, yes. The lecturer went up there and said, here are, you know, a bunch of, you know, facts that, you know, I've randomly 
decided to include in my lectures. Uh, and, you know, this is what you'll be tested on and we're running a bit of a curriculum, but curriculum can be anything, you know, it, it, it's dependent on what the lecturer puts in. But the depth came from a great tutor, which really facilitated a group conversation. Exactly. And that's where kids and, you know, clearly adults flourish as well. So good point, Absolutely. something for me to record, remember. Yes, absolutely. And it's the personal story, right? It's, you know, when we talk about facts and figures, you know, none of us remember that they actually do studies on that of how much people retain. And it's like this minuscule amount that you'd actually retain from someone just talking at you. But when you hear a personal story, and when you share your own personal story and you make it meaningful. So that's the whole purpose and my passion around this is that we don't need to teach people about mental health. We need to teach people to get to know themselves. That's it. That's what mental health is. So, you know, the second topic that, that we want to talk to is really mental health, but it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be a scary thing for parents. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to understand anything about diagnoses. You don't have to know any of that. All that you want to encourage is helping your child listen to their own feelings. You being having the courage as a parent to sit with your child's feeling and not try to make it go away, not think that there's something wrong. Just literally be there in their distress and let them know that it's okay and help them, you know, soothe, you know, help them calm and then help them figure out once they're calm, oh, I wonder what made me feel that way. I wonder if there's any choices that I want to make um different you know that that's it it's very simple it's like our, our feelings are are just information they're telling us something and when we take care of them and listen to them that's when we have you know well-being now a lot of, a lot of our listeners uh, and likewise myself would at times feel like there are certain topics uh, i don't want to go out and talk about because i don't want to upset the child um, the young person, you know, talking about whether it be friendship dynamics that they're being excluded or whatever it might be, they're in a good space right now. Let's not go there. Let's not rock the sh- rock the boat, uh, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. How do we know that kids can handle this stuff? How how do we know that at the end of all of this, even though you know they, they've gone probably through, you know quite a journey a roller coaster of feelings and emotions potentially even crying in, in exploring these these feelings how do we know they're going to be okay that that we've you know wrapped it up properly so that they are not you know we're not hurting them as parents beautiful question i'm so glad you brought this up and it's a really really big one because it is this assumption that we have that we're causing distress if someone else is upset. And the, the really big thing to remember is that if there's an emotional reaction to talking about things, that emotion was already there. We don't have emotional reactions. We can't, we can't damage kids by bringing up topics that are upsetting to them because if they're upsetting to them, that means there's a trigger there. That means they're struggling. And we don't actually have to wrap it up either. So it's really, it's really about being there. That's it. It's just about knowing that if, if your child is struggling with something, if they're sad about something, if that's hard, all we need to do is just stay with them in that distress, knowing that they're always going to be okay. So an emotion will never kill someone. 
it will never damage someone. Being emotion, being upset is now is actually mostly not a negative thing. It's mostly a sign that they're that they're connecting to what's really happening, that they're being honest, that it's coming out. It's when they're not saying anything. It's when it's pushed down. That's when that's what leads to sort of more difficulties because then they and this is you know it's a really big one because we're up against cultural norms. So our culture has trained all of us, and this is why parents are in a really hard position right now because all everyone that's an adult right now has been raised with this belief that emotions are bad and they're negative, and we should always feel happy. And if we feel sad, we should do something to fix it. And so what we're really called to be doing as adults is to, to, to shift out of that paradigm and recognize that emotions are beautiful things and emotions are just signposts. So we want to openly bring up every topic with kids and just doing it in a way that's developmentally appropriate. So this is where asking questions is really powerful. So for instance, talking about sex with your kids, you know, this is a really important topic to raise, but of course, you want to do it in a way that's right for them. So you can do something like just really ask a very simple question of, you know, how do you feel about intimacy? You know, and, and then you see, you let them let, show you where they're at with that and how much they want to explore with you. Um, but in what you know, this is a big thing that happens because we think about this in schools too. And, and it's a, it's scary for teachers to think, well, what if I trigger something in a student and, what if I make them upset? And so this is always when I do my trainings with teachers, I remind them that this is actually when, if a child is upset about this, that shows you, that actually gives you an indication. Oh, okay. So we started talking about bullying and this child started getting really upset. That is a great thing because now you know that child is struggling with bullying. All of a sudden now we can help them. Now it's out there in the open. Now we can say, okay, what referral pathway do we need to actually get this child extra support? So I would say sort of from a parenting perspective, it's, it's knowing that upset doesn't mean anything's wrong. Knowing that an emotional reaction is, is a healthy thing and that all we want to do is help them move through that, sit with them while they're in it, and then help them figure out if they need more support and where they can get it. So kids are amazing. We can just really ask them, you know, once they're calm, we can say, Hey, you know, do you think there's someone else you want to talk to about this? You know, if we went to a therapist, would that be helpful? And they'll tell you, you know, they're, they're really switched on and, and resourceful. We just need to ask the questions. It's almost like we want to search for those feelings or at least yeah. give an opportunity. It's the, the uh, part of what you're saying is let's not avoid uh, difficult feelings that they actually already exist. I mean, if parents can understand these feelings exist, should parent or do parents want to ignore those feelings in their child or do they want to sit and comfort those feelings in their child? Those feelings are there with or without the conversation we're just absolutely. saying, do you want to sit exactly and child with which your is, child? Absolutely, which is very confronting and hard, right? Because sometimes the feelings are directed at the parent. So I can give you even a personal example of me when I was a teenager that might help kind of illustrate that, is that when I was 16, my parents got divorced and my mom moved to another country. So I was experiencing, as you can imagine, I felt a lot of anger. 
I also felt abandoned. I felt lost. I felt devastated. I felt, you know, all these things I can reflect back on now, but as a 16 year old, because of my patterns in my life and how things unfolded, I had developed a personality and a persona of like being bubbly and being cheerful and everything was always fine. And I was like really outgoing. And so I, when I experienced that trauma, I just sort of doubled down on that. You know, I just didn't know how to cope with those feelings. So on the surface, I looked like I was fine. Like I, I was involved in sports. I was doing well at school, like nothing suffered on the surface. And so people, and when people would ask me about it, I would get annoyed with them. I'd like, I'd be like, it's fine. I don't, why are you asking me that? That's, you know, like I don't care. And so this is it because how many parents are in that situation where their child might've gone through something that's a struggle. And every time they try to ask the, the, the child is just annoyed, get away from me. I don't want to talk about it. I mean, that's a really common dynamic between parents and kids, but what, you know, what was happening under the surface for me, what I really needed is someone to actually sit me down and say, it's normal to feel what you're feeling. Let's talk about it and persist with that, right. To have someone actually go, let's really dig these up so that they don't bubble up later, which is what inevitably happened to me in my let, life. Let me pull this apart just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, obviously where people are going to get stuck is they've attempted, right? They, they yes. say, you know, Hey Patrick, how are you doing? You know, I'm fine. You know, why ask me a stupid question? You're like, leave me alone. Like, you know, yes. or, you know, you know, Sarah, how, 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 how's things going at school or how are you adjusting with X? You know, it's like, yeah, good. Well, you know, why wouldn't I be? Um, yes. We're always going to hit roadblock or roadblock. Sometimes it might be, um, you know, a nice uh, sort of um, denial. Other times yeah. it might be anger, uh, yep. aggression, you know, yep. um, you know, that behavioristic sort of approach. If I give you, you know, punishment you're less likely to, to to come back to me and ask the same question how do we persist what are different ways that we can try and sit down with young people who are really not wanting to engage at that time what what do we do and i, I imagine this is a complex you know question not only for parents for teachers um for, for all caregivers anyone that cares for you know a child in need a young person in need how do we do it? What are the different options? What, what, would, what do you think would have gotten through to you? Because you kind of had to maintain this bubbly personality and persona. And that, you know, everything's good. Yeah, yeah, mum and dad have split. Yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'm doing my thing. Yeah, yeah. Such a good question. You're right. We could unpack it. There's so many things we could unpack with this. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to process because there, it's not going to be the same for every child, first of all. So that we do want to have a variety of things. So I would say in my case, what would have helped me, and this is probably where, you know, when we, whenever someone is passionate about something and makes it their life work, you usually get to like a personal reason, right? So for me, it would have been, I would have had to hear someone else reflecting those feelings because I didn't feel like it was okay for me to feel like that. And I didn't even know that. It's not like I was consciously thinking, I feel this way and it's not acceptable. I just, it was a very subconscious shoving it down. It just didn't even occur to me that I could be someone other than this, this person that I had created to 
deal with earlier life trauma, trauma, interestingly. So like I had created, you know, a defense. And so, you know, it was totally subconscious. So I would have needed to be in a situation that was safe, that was sort of a, a either with a, either with a parent or in a, you know, whatever, in a group or with a therapist or someone that I trusted. And I would probably have needed them to share vulnerably first. And so this is what I really recommend to parents is that rather than because teenagers do, they, they feel pushed and, you know, often it's this dynamic, unfortunately it happens between parents and children that you can't really escape from, but it's like the parents are always asking the kids to do things and always prying. And so kids kind of develop this, you know, pushing away. And so really leading with your own vulnerability. So sharing your own feelings. So sharing your own, you know, Hey, you know, what, you know, if it's something that your family's going through together, like a divorce or a separation or a move or COVID, for instance, you know, whatever it is that your family is going through, it's, you know, Hey, this is how I'm feeling about this. I'm feeling really scared and vulnerable and I'm having thoughts of self-doubt and I'm, I'm worried and scared. And, you know, I'm noticing I'm getting really short tempered lately, you know, so you're really just showing them this is normal. You're giving them the perspective of, of what's okay. And once you hear someone else saying these things, it's again, like that burden is slightly eased. So it's not like as the parent, you're coming in and prying them open and saying, what's wrong with you? And we need to fix you. You're saying, Hey, you're human and I'm human too. And this is normal. So it's almost like not putting the pressure on just opening the doorway and saying this is an acceptable thing to talk about and it's an acceptable thing to feel so i'd say that would be the the first sort of strategy and then the second one is doing things with your child so usually teenagers open up when there's you know an activity when it's relaxed when you're on a walk together or you're you know anything you're you know, so i would encourage you to get into their world figure out what do they like what do they want to do and do it with them? Even if it's something that doesn't interest you at all, like playing video games or something, just get into their world, do it with them. And you will probably find that that things naturally come up. They will naturally mention something, you know, they'll just drop it in about a friend or about, you know, a thought that they've had. And then, and then, so you're just kind of there waiting for the way in. And then once there's the way in, then you just validate and normalize. And it's a process and it, you don't have to sort of sit your kid down and have the talk. It's like just knowing in the back of your mind, whenever my child expresses anything to me, I, my, my response is going to be validating. I'm going to let them know that it's okay to feel that way. I'm going to really encourage them. I'm going to you know, thank them for opening up to me and I'm going to you know, ask some questions and I'm going to listen to them. And if you start establishing that as your way of relating to them, the dynamic will shift. And so even if they don't say anything right away, like persist, you know, keep, keep just trying each time. Keep, and, and if they're angry with you, even accept that emotion. So it doesn't mean you have to accept their behavior. You can still have, you know, it's important to have boundaries, but you can still say, you know, hey, I understand that you're really angry with me and I get it. You know, I, I know what it's like, you know, to be a teenager. I know how annoying parents can be, you know, you know, so just validating it, saying, what you're feeling is normal. And then, you know, what are we going to choose to do about this? It's almost like connecting. Uh, this isn't an intervention. It's not a sit down. I can see this is how you're feeling. I'm going to, you know, tease this out of you right now. This is kind of like I've got a project, uh, you know, for, for parents saying for the next three months, 
I'm going to spend time with my child differently. I'm going to take an interest in their lives. I'm going to find out more about their world. I'm going to spend time doing activities that they like, like doing not necessarily just facilitating them getting to facility uh, to, to, to activities, but rather being involved in activities together during those times, beginning to communicate some more uh, modeling uh, and, and it's not even necessarily always modeling vulnerability. If I can, if I can say that sometimes it's modeling uh, an acceptance of communicating about feelings and emotions. Cause sometimes parents might not feel vulnerable. Uh, mm-hmm. They might feel uh, uncomfortable or they might actually feel quite comfortable just speaking about emotions, but, but modeling the, a conversation about this is how I feel this is what goes on for me. This is what my thoughts are showing that that changes over time uh, and then spending time sort of pausing and listening and hearing, validating those feelings without judgment, just allowing a child to be curious, express themselves and know that that, and this probably is part of the hard part, just know that that is sowing enough seeds uh, that will, 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 grow into something that we're not quite sure, but we, we, we have to have some confidence um, or, or faith that that, that process um, over months is, is, is going to you know, bear fruit. Absolutely. And, and really it's about trusting, trusting the process and knowing that you know, us as humans, it's like we, we want everything to be tied up in a little bow and, you know, everything, you know, so, so when someone looks happy, then we think, oh, phew, okay, everything's fine then. And so we have, we really put a lot of pressure on, you know, are their grades good? Are they, you know, are they engaging with friends? Are they happy? Okay, great. Now, now they're fine. And so, but the really what makes a, a fulfilled human is not at surface level happiness it's being able to fall apart and then put ourselves back together in a different way over and over and over again because then we're growing and so it's like you know and it's scary it's scary because we don't want to fall apart in in little ways or big ways right we don't we don't want to you know cry at school we don't want to you know have a meltdown we don't and in big ways we don't want to make big life decisions like we need to leave a job or a relationship. We don't want it. We don't want things to fall apart, but it's only when we allow ourselves to, to have these, you know, little falling aparts regularly that we actually can make empowered choices so that we don't end up in a life that doesn't work for us. So really what you can think of as a parent is that you're giving your child the chance to learn about their own feelings now when they're young, when there isn't so much at stake so that they can really start getting in touch with who they really are, which means that when they build their life, they're building it towards them, not towards pleasing someone or being pretending to be happy or doing what other people are doing, um, which is what happens when we bury our feelings. And that's what ends up people, you know, all of a sudden you wake up in a life that you hate. And then you have to really, everything has to fall apart in a major way, which is also okay. But it's like, as parents, you can give your children the tools to learn how to be true to themselves by, by letting themselves feel things. 
Are there differences, and, and I'll talk about global differences because I know there's a wide spectrum of all human beings, uh, but are, are there differences between boys and girls? Uh, I know that developmentally we, we do it differently. I, you know, we're, we're, um, we're certainly the same species, but we uh, clearly have some differences. And psychologists have demonstrated this over and over and over again. We've got the data that's through the roof. Um, I know it can sometimes be controversial for some people, um, but it's blatantly obvious that there is differences. Um, are there differences in terms of how we might approach on a general basis boys uh, differently to girls and girls differently to boys? Um, Great question. Basis? In terms of having these discussions and... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean... Yeah. I mean, I, I just think about you know, an example, you know, a lot of troubled boys, for example, um, you know, might have some behavior difficulties. You know, I know that boys tend to um, act out, you know, behaviorally a lot. And, I, and I, I always think about that scenario of, you know, the bald guy, you know, he's got a bald shaved, shaven head with some tattoos, who's at the local, you know, uh, gymnasium, who does boxing with a bunch of troubled boys. Um, and he can get basically anything out of these kids. You know, they, they will do anything. He, he, he could start a gang if he wanted to. Um, <laughs> thankfully, you know, his mind's about improving young kids' lives and the like, and, and he'll do it through discipline. So he does it through respect. He does it through, you know, discipline. He does it through, um, you know, uh, even getting cranky at some of the kids. There's some maybe tongue-in-cheek. Maybe they use a bit of um, foul language at times to kind of dem demonstrate this masculine sort of thing. You know, it, I can't imagine uh, that that would be the same for, you know, um, troubled girls, so to speak, or, or it would depend on the intensity of, you know, behavioural, you know, uh, difficulties at the time but what are some of the things that um we might be cognizant of that could be gender differences great question so it's interesting i would actually say that it's it's more the individual than the gender in, okay. in all okay. of my work like and yes of course there are sort of typical ways that things are displayed in boys and girls, but I almost feel like from a parenting perspective, it's, it's, a, it's a wiser way to approach it to really look at what's going on in my child in front of me. Because I, I find it's interesting, like, and especially nowadays with, with gender becoming much more of a, a fluid thing and, and teenagers these days, you know, see gender very differently than we did um, growing up. And it used to be sure. very dichotomous. And so I think there were more typical gender differences. And I think a lot of that was cultural, right? We raise girls to be a certain way. We raise boys to be a certain way. And one of the big things that I find that does become a struggle for boys is that we do still have this, this sort of t culture where we don't let boys show emotions that much. And so I think that that's one thing that still does very much play in is the recognition that, and it doesn't mean that boys feel any less or any differently. It just means that they've been usually more trained to silence those feelings. So, so it's really just being aware that you might have to go a little bit more gently and you might have to, you know, figure out a different, you know, language like using physicality or, or, you know, knowing that they might never, ex you know, they might not express their feelings explicitly 
and that's okay. They might just make a, you know, a comment about something. And, but I feel like because, you know, that's not just, not only boys find themselves in that situation. So, so that's exactly. where, you know, even, even myself, like as, as a girl growing up, like I had an older brother and I really modeled myself off after him. So I think that might've been also one of the ways, you know, I really wanted to be in that male world and I wanted to be kind of in that. So I think that for me, actually, that even though I was, I was very much a girl and, you know, I acted like a girl and you wouldn't, you know, to look at me, you wouldn't know that I had necessarily that psychology. But for me, that probably would have been a helpful way. And there's a lot of girls I work with that are, that do have that as well. So I feel like it's like, you take that of like, okay, the context of our culture is that for the most part, boys sort of may need a little bit more um, validating of their emotions and really just normalizing. So really, it's so helpful for boys and girls, but especially for boys to see their fathers be vulnerable, to see their fathers share, you know, I struggle or I have struggled in a safe way, of course, not dumping, but really to, to hear that. There's so many boys that I work with that say, you know, I have this great dad and he's wonderful and I've never seen him cry and I've never seen him get upset. And so subconsciously they get that belief of like, well, that must be what I should do then. So I think especially for boys, it's that, that the father really, or, or male role model doesn't have to be the father, but male role models showing them that feelings are okay and that they have feelings too. And then for girls, again, very typically, like, again, you look at the individual, but a lot of the time it's, it's almost the opposite. It's like we give, we give girls the message that, you know, they have all these emotions and it makes them crazy and, you know, they, they aren't contained and they're messy and we have all these other sort of messages that they get. So, so really with, with typically with girls or with, with kids that exhibit that kind of like big emotionality, whether it's a boy or a girl, it's the, the message that, again, emotions are okay, but it's really the message that they, they are in, they are, they do have power, you know, they don't have to control their emotions to be empowered. So it's that difference of saying, you know, it's okay, it's okay to have that very, you know, that feminine and boys and girls will have this, but that, you know, the, 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 the feminine emotions, you know, and that that's actually doesn't mean that they aren't able to make empowered choices and that they aren't strong and that actually those emotions are strength. So it's really, it's almost like you want to counterbalance culture essentially. So, so you want to give them that opposite message. It's almost like try, trying to make your child, uh, obviously as an individual, understanding that there is potentially some, some um, differences there, but we've got to drop those assumptions and, and, yes. and, and figure out through communication, spending time, uh, and then be yeah. cognizant around giving breadth and variety to kids to, to, to demonstrate uh, a different perspective. While, while you were talking, something that, you know, I'm, I'm always cognizant of and, and um, oh, sorry, I'm not cognizant, uh, but I identify strongly with is being a man. And, you know, being a man growing up, sport was, you know, important. And, and I remember being praised a lot by, um, you know, mum and dad. And, you know, that, that approval went, meant a lot. That when I played soccer, if I played aggressively, 
you know, meant I would score more goals. And if I scored more goals, mum and dad would be prouder. Um, and that's all I ever wanted, you know, to, to, to have approval and pride from, from, from mum and dad. And in so many ways, I still bloody well do that. Um, uh, but what, what, what's interesting is that's become, in many ways, my identity. Um, and so there's, there's a hard external toughness. Uh, and that's something that I, I suppose, because I found valuable in my life, I want to pass on to my kids. Similarly, I want to also pass on, uh, I still have feelings. I just don't necessarily express them outwardly much. Mm-hmm. And that kind of looks a little bit different because it, it, it's not necessarily dad showing that he's crying because mm-hmm. my kids will not see that. Um, other than when I do a speech at, at, you know, birthdays and those sorts of things, I tend to be in tears because everyone's there and I get overwhelmed. Uh, but when, th- when life is tough, you know, when there's tragedy, when things are broken, whatever it might be, you know, I work really hard to be that hard exterior. I know that that's my default. Um, and I'm kind of like, I want to be that. I suppose I want to also have that conversation with, with, with my kids to say, and underneath the hard exterior, I'm hurting and I, I feel painful, but this is what I'm doing. So it's not one or the other, it's one and the other. We're trying to, you're, you're kind of talking about trying to facilitate balance. Or, and it's probably not only two, it's one and this, and this, and this, and this. Uh, it's not a dichotomous position. You know, it's Absolutely. vulnerable Absolutely. or strong, you know, because that, that sends the wrong message. Yeah. And I guess what I would say is that vulnerability doesn't always look like crying, right? Vulnerability is, is the courage to say what you're feeling, regardless yeah. of how you express it. And so, so I would say, and also I would say one of the things that's so helpful for kids is parents exploring themselves that's another way that you can be vulnerable so you can really open you can openly say what you just said to me that's really powerful saying that i've created you know this tough exterior and i like it in many ways because you know i feel like it serves me and i feel like it helps me and then you can also explore the other side of it so do you think that there's anything that you lose out on by having that hard exterior do you see any ways that that you know might cut you off from certain things is that a question to me or are we talking about it It is i'm curious because this is this is a beautiful thing to explore for them if you want to share that you know as an as an example yeah absolutely um i I think that hard exterior um probably means that i can access being defensive quite easily in my close relationships um I can certainly be avoidant of emotional conversations or, or become tired of them quickly, um, you know, be, be the problem solver, yeah. uh, which probably gets in the way of connecting again. Um, uh, it probably also gets in the way of showing greater breadth, particularly to my daughters, um, uh, of validating normalizing those feelings and in some sense i then kind of you know 
wrestle with myself thinking maybe my wife does that anyway and does the natural balance uh, there that she looks after that part and maybe I look after the other that we model different different perspectives so I'm grappling with it right it's 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 this kind of grappling you know uh, evolutionary Mm -hmm. uh, thought process and and um I suppose you know that that's what we're trying to do with our kids is just to, to to pull it apart so to examine it to yeah. kind of query it and 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 exactly what germinates from there exactly that's it so i love thank you so much for sharing that because i think for your listeners that is the perfect example of an incredibly beautiful healing vulnerable conversation to have with your kids where you're just you're just showing them that you're looking at yourself. You're noticing things about yourself. You're not judging yourself. You're not saying that it's wrong, even though it's okay if you sometimes have feelings of, should I be this way or should I not be this way? But you're showing them that it's healthy to look at this and to share it. So you can actually then ask your daughters, you know, how do you feel about that? And they might at first go, I don't know, <laughs> no, but, but you just open the door where you say, this is something that, you know, I, I have built up. And again, this is the same with all of us. Everything has a wisdom. Sorry to jump up. Sorry to jump in and completely interrupt. But it's interesting because I'm noticing my heart racing more, right? There's there's a visceral reaction um, to doing that sort of self-reflection and and actually tapping into or feeling those feelings. You know, this is where those avoidance patterns come in. You know, that's like, oh, you know, that doesn't feel nice or it feels a little unsettling so best not to go back there um, or best not to even go there in the first place clamp it down exactly so thank you for sharing that too and this is what we do in our culture is we think that that sign that signal means something's wrong but actually that's just something waking up in you that's something something just happened something different happened it's really normal to feel nervous when we're outside of our comfort zone Um, but, but then if we lean into that and what a beautiful conversation to have with your daughters to say, you know, I'm human and this is the side you see of me. And I, and I, you know, I don't know if this is the side, you know, if this is helpful or not, and probably it's both. Right. So, so everything has a wisdom to it and a shadow to it. So we're, we're not saying we have to change totally. We're not saying that being a strong you know, stoic man is a negative thing. That's not a negative thing at all. But we're also saying that it does, it also isn't a negative thing to be, you know, soft and caring and emotional if you're a man. And actually being able to have both of those is is beautiful. So it's like the, you're showing them that the exploration of self and the questioning and and leaning into the question and saying, well, what does it feel like when I share my emotions? Okay, maybe it's more uncomfortable, but am I noticing that now my relationships are deeper? Okay, so now you're showing them that you're, you're, you're trying things out and that's all we want them to do is try it, you know, yeah. What would you say, what would you say to parents who are scared of particular topics, you know, where there's this kind of concern about if I raise this topic, um, I might be raising something that they're not even cognizant about. So an example might be, and I'll use two examples because I think they, they, they kind of uh, potentially hold um, different, different uh, conflicts. Talking with a young person about self-harm, 
Uh, that could be something that could be quite scary for a parent in that they might be worried that they're bringing about mm-hmm. um, a uh, potential reinforcement of that being something that a child might consider. Mm-hmm. And we kind of know that we don't tend to even put suicides in the media uh, because we know that in some instances uh, there can be copycat sort of scenarios and the like, and it, it can um, increase um, rates. Yeah, so it could be a true genuine fear. Another type of scenario might be talking about something that probably a lot of parents might not be um, familiar with, which is you know uh, gender and gender fluidity, and you know kind of uh, our own preconceived ideas around that. You know we have often quite strong biases around you know whether gender fluidity, you know, exists or doesn't, you know, is this a fad, you know, whatever it might be as, you know, as many things, you know, in in the past have occurred as well. What would you say to parents who, who, you know, just don't know how to tackle these, these hard conversations and are scared, you know, how do we do this? Absolutely. Great questions. And it's, first of all, it's very normal to be scared of raising these kinds of topics because it is terrifying. You know, so I'll talk about self-harm first. You know, it's terrifying to think that your child might hurt themselves. And it's even more terrifying to think that you saying something might trigger them hurting themselves. So I think the first thing to, to just sort of highlight is that when we think about things like copycat, the only time that happens, so, so I guess first thing I want to say is that in the world we live in today, unfortunately, it would be pretty hard for a teenager of probably any age teenager to not have heard about self-harm, suicide, suicidal thoughts, and, and probably even have seen some pretty graphic and horrifying things. So that's just the first thing to keep in mind that your kids have probably heard of it, whether it's from a friend or it's in passing or whatever. So you're probably not going to be the first one to raise it. The second thing is that we only get that copycat effect when they hear something without the context and the processing. So knowing that, knowing that they've probably heard it somewhere, but they have not processed it, the best thing you can do is bring it up and create a space for them to process it. So whether or not they're hearing it from you for the first time, and, and so the way I would introduce it is always go in soft with these in, with introductions so, so that you're not just sort of shocking them with, with something, but you can say something like, you know, Sometimes when people are really struggling, they do things to hurt themselves. So that's a pretty general statement. So that could be anything from thinking negative thoughts about themselves or hanging out with friends that are not good for you or, you know, everything to, to cutting yourself. There's a whole range of things, you know, drinking or doing drugs. There's all these ways that we hurt ourselves. So you want to start the conversation with normalizing it. So you can even give, so you don't have to go straight to like, you know, self-harm, you know, cutting yourself, you can really just have a general conversation of, you know, when we're struggling, it's really normal to, to do things that are not that good for us, that sometimes even hurt us because we have 
thoughts about, you know, we think things are our fault or we think things aren't going to get better. And this is really normal. You know, do you ever, and then you can say, you know, do you ever have thoughts like that? Or do you ever feel like you, and, and again, this is where sharing your own experience first is really helpful. So sharing any behavior that you do. So we all have them, you know, we, we, we wouldn't, there would be no parent out there that wouldn't have some behavior, like any adult, any person, we all do things like, right. I, I binge on chocolate. I'll watch Netflix when I, you know, instead of, you know, meditating, you, we do no, things. No, right? None of that's happened to you. Right, right. So you want to lead with that. You want to say, you know, when I'm really struggling, I do X, Y, Z, that I know is hurting me. I know that's not helping me, but you know, that unfortunately that's like, it's an easy thing to get in the habit of, you know, what are some of the things that you do? You know, you can even ask it like that. So it's not like there's something wrong with you if you're doing anything to hurt yourself, that there, there's this like, some people, you know, people that hurt themselves are crazy. It's nothing like that. You're just saying this is a normal human behavior. And then getting them in the in just generally talking about behaviors that are helpful or harmful. And then then you can have that conversation about, you know, when, you know, it's really normal to do that. And, you know, we want to figure out other strategies. So if your child then starts saying things about about cutting or about something really scary, then that's when as soon as it's something where it feels like this is really heavy, all you know is, okay, this child just needs to see a psychologist. That's it. No problem. No dramas. It's fine. It's actually really common and normal. There's nothing wrong with your child. They just need support. They just need strategies to know. And really all it is with self-harm, it's, it's again, what we've just been talking about. It's having feelings come up that we don't know how to sit with. And so we're trying to get rid of them. We're trying to fix them. And, and doing things like self-harm is something that we feel in the moment it's going to make the feeling go away. And so all that child needs is to know that that feeling is okay, that that feeling and that they can sit with that feeling and that they can choose to do different things that, that soothe that feeling that aren't harmful to themselves. Would you say that you would also maintain that process in terms of understanding the young person and uh, where they would like to take that as well so that there is kind of thought and consideration, um, some sort of a, a, a collaborative conversation about, you know, where to from here, uh, because obviously maintaining those open airways is uh, important because this is, this is a process the, 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 and it's not even through, I think I mentioned three months before and that might be, you know, for, for a very minor project, but parenting is usually not a three month project. Uh, might go for, uh, you know, probably a minimum three decades, uh, if, if not, you know, um, till the end of your own life. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, absolutely. So yeah, you absolutely want to make sure, that that you are collaborating with them and so you're not just jumping in and saying right we're hauling you off to a psychologist now it's really just saying you know so it's sitting there in that moment if they say something yeah. you really want to validate them and sit with them don't rush to anything just sit and listen that's all you need to do because i can see my problem solver within want to jump on that one right you know it's just like here we go. <laughs> there's real danger here let's get in on it this is my child i'm not i'm not no, right. no, no, no stone left unturned where we're thinking this. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so, and that's a really normal mentality to have as a parent, but that actually then exacerbates that belief. Well, oh, then I must be crazy. You know, even my parents think I'm crazy. They're taking, you know, so it's really, it really the, the number one thing you want to do is know that it's okay. 
and and it's really just remembering pump the brakes you know take yeah, it easy pump the brakes, last thing we need to do we're going yeah. to the gp we're finding the best psychologist in town we're going yeah. to go out and, and and meet with the teachers this is it rather than exactly. just pump the brakes this That's is this it is, yeah. the slow down and that goes for everything same thing if your child comes home and says i'm getting bullied you know anything it's just slow down listen validate their feelings tell them it's okay that they're feeling this way and then if it's something that you feel like, you, you know, like self-harm or you're like, well, I don't know what to suggest, which is really normal. You know, you wouldn't know what to suggest if you weren't a psychologist. That's okay. You just say, well, hey, you know what? There's someone that we could go to, you know, when, when we struggle with things like this, the, you know, just like when you, you know, scrape your knee, you go to the, the doctor. If, you, if you're struggling with something emotionally or mentally, you know, there are therapists and psychologists we can go to. You know, do you want to pick one out together and really take agency in that and of letting your child be a part of that process of, you know, they, and you can look people up on the internet, right? They can look them up. They can see a photo of them. They can read about them. And so they really feel like it's someone that Again, so it's not disempowering them saying you're there's something wrong with you and we need to fix you and we're going to go to someone that's going to fix you. It's saying, hey, you're struggling when we're struggling. It's really normal and empowering to find the tools that we need. And sometimes that those come from someone else. So we're going to, you know, very calmly and maturely go and and talk to someone about this and know that, you know, there's no shame in it. That's the biggest thing, because with self-harm, there's a huge amount of shame. So we want to have, you know, we don't want to make the, the emotions bigger, which is really hard as a parent because you'll have your own emotions about it. We want to make them, you know, soothe them and make them smaller. So we want to say, you know, really take the shame away and say, you know, and, and really just thank them for telling you, like, it is amazing. If your child is telling you about this, that is so fantastic. That is such a good sign because that then, then there's a, there's a way through it because they're being open with you about it. And even if they are scared to tell you, but there's someone else in their life that they feel comfortable sharing that with beautiful, you know, that's great. It doesn't have to be you as a parent. Cause sometimes that is a hard thing to tell mm -hmm. your parent but as long as they have, you know, and then they're getting help from a, an, you know, a therapist or a psychologist and you're a part of that and you're a part of helping them with that. It's okay. If, you're not hearing everything as long as you're aware and you're supportive and you're there, you know, and that's it. You're just seeing them and validating them. Haley, where can people find out more about developing these skills? I think this is something that parents, teachers, all of us uh, can, can really you know, get so much from particularly in, in uh, you know, trying to assist young people and not always necessarily you know that young maybe sometimes uh you know intimately for ourselves as well how, how do we go out and, and and find out more about this is this, is this all part of the open parachute you know, uh, project of yours yes actually so we have for the parents um in our program so any school that's running the program the parents will have a series of videos so it's it's a sort of well, five minute video on each of these different topics you know whether it's mental health or bullying or friendship stuff or you know whatever they're you know the types of things that young people struggle with um and self-esteem and all that kind of stuff and there's a video and then there's also sort of um information so there's a whole bit about you know again just talking through it like i'm talking through now just understanding and and then things that you can practice things you can try so we have sort of information about like here's here's some topic starters that you can have with your child so we really have that as a resource um, because it's so important that parents are empowered with this and then the other thing i would recommend 
um, you know, if your child isn't going through open parachute is going to see a psychologist yourself. So I often do that. I have lots of clients where I'm just, I'm having sessions with parents and sometimes you just need a few sessions with someone that you trust, with someone that's good, that works with teenagers that can just talk you through some of these things. And you just, so again, it doesn't have to be this huge undertaking. You can just, you know, have a couple sessions and see how you go and, and then try out some of the skills. So it's really, again, it's not, it's not a science, it's an art and it's an ongoing thing. So you want to, you want to keep doing it. So there isn't just sort of like one parenting program you can do, and then that's it. You want to keep checking in. So I think that's a really great one is to find a psychologist that you can trust that you can rely on, and then just have a session every once in a while. And just say, hey, this is the thing that's coming up now. You know, what can we do about it? Because, you know, parenting is so challenging and nobody gets any training going into it. And, and the, you know, the psychology of parenting, there's so much and there's so many things that are going on and it's so challenging as a parent. And so it makes perfect sense to have someone just, you know, injecting some little bit of, hey, try this. And okay, this, you know, helping you reflect on, okay, my child's really getting angry with me all the time. And then just that other perspective of, okay, maybe look at it this way, maybe try this thing. And it's like, we just need the reminders. We need to kind of keep looking at this stuff. I second that so much. We we, we get so many referrals, um, you know, from parents for, for young people. Um, but we really have parents come in. I mean, it does happen, but you know, the, the, the numbers are low of saying we want help. Um, you know, and, and it, it's interesting. It's fascinating. We, we, we go to the fix, right? And the fix appears to be with the young person, you know, and, and we know we, we are not individuals. We're part of an organism, you know, system, a family, you know, and, and you know, a community. And we, we've got to do that on, on that level. So, you know, I appreciate you sort of mentioning that because I, I think it's just so loud and clear, uh, in our roles uh, as psychologists, because we just see it so much. So, you know, everyone out there, you know, don't, do not be afraid. Go and see, you know, a, a psychologist, a trusted advisor, someone with some experience in, in you know, behavioural analyses in, in, in context uh, to understand you know, how to meet kids uh, and, and, you know, relationships in general. Um, it's so important. And it's really, you know, again, it's this cultural shift where we've seen psychologists as the fixers and when only when something's wrong, but it's like, you know, we, these, this is an ongoing, being human is an ongoing challenge. You know, it's an ongoing process and having someone there that we can just learn from and be guided by and check in with is so valuable. And, you know, I love it when parents come to me and, you know, it's, it's always the most helpful when you're working with a young person, when you can work with their parents too, but even if there's nothing wrong and you're just sort of saying, Hey, you know, my, my child is now becoming a teenager. And like, is there anything new I should know? You know, it's like, there, there's so much that, that we can dive into and learn and help these young people grow into, you know, the, the most empowered versions of themselves. And it's totally unrealistic to expect that a parent should know all that, you know? And, and so I think as a culture, I really, I hope, and I think I really think we're moving towards this place where we're putting, you know, not putting so much pressure on parents and really recognizing that you haven't done anything wrong, you know, if your child is struggling and, Absolutely. And, you know, and that it's, you know, this is just being human and we've all suffered and we all are suffering. And it's just these, you know, we all need supports to figure these things out. 
Hayley, how can we find out more? I know that we have an Australian audience that's listening. We've got a worldwide audience as well. How do we find out more about Open Parachute? What's the website? How do people yeah, get in contact? Absolutely. So it's openparachuteschools.com. Um, and there's a, so there's a website for the Australian program as well as um, we have a program in the US and in Canada. So you'll be directed to those sites, but you can um, yeah find out everything on there um, and learn more about what we're doing. So Fantastic. Fantastic. Look, such, such a wealth of knowledge. I think there's a lot to take, take in from, from that. And, and that real strong common theme about meeting our kids, spending time with our kids, so some real fundamentals and, and in some way, basics but aren't the basics always the hardest to do we need to kind of continue to go back to you know the fundamentals so really appreciate you going through through that and certainly with your experience and, and, and understanding of young persons it, it it's helpful to you know either go out and validate that some of the things that we're doing um you know is on the money other things that we need to go out and spend a bit more time thinking about considering in, in this conversation uh, and, and new things that we need to add. Uh, I, I certainly, you know, we'll, we'll be doing so after this as well. So really appreciate your time and, and your Such experience. Such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. And just quickly to answer the last, that question you asked about gender, just I'll just say one little thing about that because you Please. asked about yeah, gender. So, so same thing applies as, as with self-harm it's really, you know, gender is a thing that every young person has, you know, ex you know, that we've seen everyone, you know, is exposed to this concept of gender fluidity. So it's really, again, just encouraging that it's okay to ask the question. It's okay to feel the feelings and that it's okay, you know, so it's really giving space and, and contextualizing and knowing that it's okay to feel strange in your own body. It's okay to feel happy about being your gender. It's okay to feel not happy about being your gender. It's okay to feel confused. It's okay to feel, you know, strange about someone else's gender. Like it's like all of that is okay. And I think the more we can just allow space for the, for the thinking of it and the connecting to it and not turn, not immediately again, going to the fix or going to the, you know, it has to be a thing. It's just, you know, it's kids need to have these conversations and having the conversation is never going to be a negative for them. It's always, you know, it's just saying that, you know, we can explore topics and it's okay to explore topics. Well, it's interesting because, you know, most parents, you know, absolutely love to hear that uh, the school is going to put part of the curriculum, you know, drugs and alcohol on the, on the table and they go, great, don't have to talk about that at home. That's fantastic. They'll know what's right, what's wrong. We're all happy with that. But then we go out and we change and we say, we're going to talk about gender. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. You talk about drugs and alcohol, my kids won't drink, you know, alcohol and take drugs. That doesn't happen, right? Um, but if we talk about, you know, uh, genders and all those sorts of things, then all of a sudden we're going to change uh, the identity of my child. Um, they're going right. to change. So, right. Oh, wow. Right. That's it. And so it's really just validating that and really, you know, to know again, knowing that this is out there in our culture now. So we can't, we can't siphon kids off and say, you know, you're going to be extracted from this. And also knowing, I think the really important thing is knowing that helping your child, help, seeing your child as the individual that they are and helping them know that their identity is so much is beyond gender. So I think that's the big thing. So whatever is happening for them on a gender level, 
whether they, you know, whatever it is, whether they hate the idea of gender fluidity or they love the idea of gender fluidity, it's really helping them see that we're deeper than that and they're deeper than that. And, and this stuff is all is surface level on a sense of like who they are as a person is them. And so if you keep mm-hmm. reinforcing that of like, that's, that's, you know, the essence of them, then they'll, they'll figure out whatever way they need to figure out, but you're giving them that safety of, you know, feeling safe within themselves, which is what's really key. Well, you remove the context and you remove the identity, you know, me without my wife changes my identity. Me without children changes my identity. Me not, uh, not working as a psychologist changes my identity. You know, me without hair, you know, cause I'm losing a fair bit of hair, uh, <laughs> changes my identity you know it, it tells me i'm aging it, it, it does a lot of things it is there's so much and, and if we remove everything i think my identity goes with that and if we you know as we add it this is why you know as you say we are bigger than than than, than ourselves we, we we're only ourselves because of everything else around us yeah and and it, and you know there's a part of there's an essence of you that will always be there regardless of if even if all those things were taken away and yeah. so that's the beautiful thing is that of course our identity is a mixture of yeah all of these things and our relationships and our but it's also you know encouraging especially young people to really feel who they are at the core you know and and really help them identify with that at their very core you know who, who, what kind of a person are they? And so if you help them encourage along that line of thinking and, and just almost like taking the pressure off of the, of the gender conversation saying, yeah, we can talk about that. And it's interesting, but that's, that doesn't have to be, you know, that's not all of who you are. Your gender is not all of who you are. And I think a lot of, you know, there's a, there's a healthy rebellion against gender norms that's happening in our culture really. And so helping them explore like, whatever gender you are, you can also be anyone, you know, it it helps them navigate that sense of self in amongst, you know, this very confusing time we're living in, you know, it's confusing being a teenager right now. You know, there's so many things that are happening. There's so many things that they're exposed to. There's so many things that are hard right now. And so you're really just giving them that the port in the storm is, is themselves underneath all of that and your connection to them. Ali. Thank you very much again. I think that 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 that's a nice place to to finish. It's about that connection and and being able to embrace that and and, and facilitate that is so important. So, thank you very very much. And uh, for everyone out there, again, openparachuteschools.com. Um, yep. uh, go there and across Canada, the US, Australia, and um. So those are the three countries we're in currently. UK. But Was we're, the UK we're in there as well? So UK is coming, um, coming and we're coming. also working with some international schools um, globally. So our, our plan is to be everywhere in the world. So keep, stay tuned. So watch this space. Watch this space. Exactly. Lovely. Thanks again, Hayley, and uh, hopefully we can talk soon again. Yes, such a pleasure. Nice to chat with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review subscribe share it via social media and tell others about it start a conversation it's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources and just lastly 
if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team, develop your experience and get into some exciting work, come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out. I'd love to hear from you.